0: Pray with me before we begin. Lord, we thank you for this uh, beautiful day. We thank you for this place that you've provided that we can come here and gather together and sing your praises, come to you uh, in prayer, that we can open your word together. And uh, I just pray this morning that as we do that, that you would lead and guide us in this time, that your spirit would speak to us, that you would apply the truth of your word to our hearts, that you would be moving in this place. We just confess that we need you to do that, that we are hopelessly lost without you. And so we just pray that this time would be pleasing and honoring to you. And it'd be through the power of your spirit that we function and we move. And uh, thank you for each person here. I thank you that we have this time together. Pray that you would bless this time. We pray that it would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, we're finishing up uh, this week. If you've been here the last three weeks, this will be the last of three. Uh, we've been talking about this idea of uh, our missional community groups. That's kind of where I started right at the beginning of the year. And what I've been talking about when we say that is, is what oftentimes we refer to as small groups or community groups within the church. We've been talking about how we're calling them missional community groups. We want them to be a, a family of faith on mission together for God's glory in all areas. And so, what we've been doing as we've been saying that is looking at it particularly in three different ways that we want to make sure we keep in balance. We want to emphasize that all three of these are very important uh, to our faith and, and to those missional community groups as we get together outside of just here on Sunday mornings. And so, what we've been saying each week is we've talked about uh, the up and the in and the out. And that's the way we've been saying it. What we mean by that is the up is our relationship with God. We want to be always growing into a fuller understanding of who God is and the way he's revealed himself through Jesus. We find that in the scriptures led by his spirit. We talked about that the first week. Uh, The second week, uh, last week, we talked about the in, our relationship to one another, and how we love each other and how we encourage one another and how that helps in our relationship of growing uh, in our up relationship with God. But it also helps in the third part. And the third one we're going to look at today is the out. Uh, our relationship to the world, those that don't yet know Jesus uh, in the way that we are to go forth and to proclaim His glory to them and to walk alongside people. And, and what we've been talking about is how all three of those go together. As we grow in our relationship with God, we do that in community together, but it's the more we see Him, the more we want to go out and tell other people. And so what we want to see as we, as we think about this is really a keeping a balance of all three of those. When we read through scripture and we look at it, they're really inseparable. They're all three there over and over again, pointing to how those go together. And so we want to make sure that we keep that in a balance. I've said this every week. It's almost a little bit uh, counterintuitive to saying that they all go really well together. We want to keep them together. And then we've divided them out each week to look at different parts. And so I hope, though, as we're moving through and as we do today, as we finish on this last one, we kind of see the dots being connected of why they're so important together. And I think we'll see part of that. Today, as we look at the out part. And so, the way I want us to do this is thinking about how we go out, how, as, as gospel communities, uh, missional community groups, we want to be going out ministering together. And so, the out part today, there's three uh, points, I guess we would say, instead of questions today, but uh, we're going to say it like this First, the, way, the ways that we live this out as we think about that are one, we proclaim it, two, we live it, and then lastly, we do those first two. We we proclaim it, and we live it because we know it. And we'll talk about what that means at the end. So proclaim it, live it, and we do those two because we know it. And so let's start with proclaim it. And we're going to look at this passage that Chris read to us just a minute ago from First Peter chapter 2. And I want us to start in verse 9. We're really going to spend most of our time from verse 9 ...to 12, and we'll we'll hit a couple other ones. But let's start right there at verse 9 and look at what it says. So Peter writing to the church, they're going through some hard times. They've come under persecution. There's some difficult things there. And so Peter's writing to to believers, and so listen to what he says here in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession... ...that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness... Into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we talked about this uh, last week. And so, just very briefly, we talked about how when we uh, come together as a, a community of faith and we put our faith in Jesus, that we have a connection that is far deeper than any others. That God has called us out. He's made us a people, it tells us here. In verse 10, once we were not a people, now we are God's people. And then he talks about how we are a chosen race and a royal priesthood and a holy nation. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But I want you to notice when he says he calls us out and he makes us into this family of faith. He brings us together. He does that by uh, all of us. Every single one of us, apart from Jesus, is at enmity with God. We are at odds with God because of our sin. And so God comes in Jesus and He does what he could ne- we could never do for ourselves and He restores our relationship with God by offering Christ as a sacrifice on our behalf. And so when that happens and you put your faith in Him, you become part of this community of faith, this family. And it's far deeper than any other connection we have. But what I want to start with is what He says. Uh, he does this, but then look at what He says there right in Verse 9. Right, You are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, a people for his possessions, and then he says that, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And I want us to start with just that thought, that as God makes us his own through what Jesus has done for us, he immediately says, I've done that, that you can now go proclaim. You can go tell people what I've done for you and the way that I've welcomed you back in and the way I've met you in your need and through grace I've brought you into my family. And he says, so go proclaim. Now that shouldn't be any surprise when we read through the Bible and we get to this point in 1 Peter at the back that that's the case, that God's at work to proclaim who he is, to proclaim the way he's moving, the way he's calling people to himself. That's really the story of the entire Bible. I think I've told this story before, but it's been a couple years uh, since I, I did. One of my favorite uh, chapel speakers in seminary was a man named uh, Dr. Ralph Winter. And Dr. Winter helped to develop the walk through the Bible curriculum, if you've ever seen that before. It teaches you the overview of the Bible. It puts it in simple steps and how you can see the big picture. And he came and spoke in my chapel when I was in seminary. And he was about 85 years old when he came. And all these people were going, Dr. Winter is here. I didn't know who he was. Right? Somebody said, he's, he's the walk-through-the-Bible guy. And I was like, okay, I know what that is. I didn't really know who he was. He came in and he kind of uh, mumbled a lot and he kind of stumbled around. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> you know, this guy. He, he made some joke at the beginning about how he needed his wife to keep him on track. And then he proceeded to kind of mumble and say some things. And you're going, oh, this, this could be really bad. And, uh, and then he started, and he held up his Bible, and I still remember this, and he said, we should really print this as a book. And you're kind of like, oh, really? Is it, what is he saying? And he said, I know, I know, it's a book, it's a book. But I mean, we should print it as, as Genesis 1 through 11 is the prologue. And then it should read chapter 1 as Genesis 12. And then he started to unfold the whole picture of Scripture, and what he started to tell us is that all of the Bible is about missions, It's all about God pursuing a people, pursuing His creation to bring us back. And He did this incredible. I still remember all of it, all the way through, talking about what God is doing and how He's moving and how He's pursuing a people. And it was this incredible thing. And I was sitting there repenting that I was thinking, "Oh no, He's not sure what He's talking about." And then just wisdom, right? And He spoke, and it was incredible about what He said. And He talked about how all the Old Testament is looking ahead to Jesus, and then Christ comes, and then the rest is telling about what He's done. And so we see that all the way through. You know, when you, when you open the New Testament and you look at what it tells us and what it says and, and the way Jesus' ministry starts. I was reading in Matthew this week. The beginning of Matthew, it tells us Jesus' genealogy and a few things about Him as a child. And then uh, His ministry starts. And He goes out to the desert and He's tempted. And then He comes in and His ministry starts in Matthew chapter 4. And it says in Matthew 4.17, He began to preach, the repent the kingdom of God of heaven is at hand And so Jesus' ministry starts with this proclamation of who God is and what he's done. Repent, the time has come. I'm here now. Right? And then the very next thing, two verses later, he calls his first disciples, and he turns and he says to them in Matthew 4:19, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Right? And so the gospel's open with Jesus proclaiming and calling people and then saying, "I'm going to turn you out to go do the same thing. You're going to go proclaim. And then you get to the end of Matthew, kind of bookends of the Bible. And if you know the last two verses of Matthew, Jesus, again, is, the, is after the resurrection, his followers are there and he charges them. Go make disciples of all nations. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And you see these bookends. on the the Gospels, on Jesus' ministry. I've come to proclaim who God is, and I'm going to call some people, and then I'm going to send you to do the same thing. And we see that all the way through Scripture, that we're to be proclaiming who God is and what He's done. Uh, Today, a lot of times, we like to kind of soften that a little bit. And we say, uh, we preach the Gospel through the way we live, which is true. That's actually my second point, so I agree with that. (laughs) We're going to talk about that in just a second. But sometimes what we'll say is, uh, we like to say things like, uh, preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. Have you ever heard that? That's kind of a popular saying today. Um, I'm not sure how you do that. The Bible says that you have to speak about who God is and what he's done, that God recreates through the proclamation of his word. And so, yes, we are to live out the gospel with our lives, and it should be evident in the way that we care for one another and love And walk in that, but there's also a part of proclaiming, of speaking, right? Think about uh, 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, be ready in season and out, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now that's Paul talking to Timothy, who's a young pastor, but we're to be proclaiming, calling to who God is. Or Romans 10, Paul says it this way, how then? Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so when we think about what it means, the out part in our communities and us as a, as a body of believers, is that you are sent and you are sent to proclaim You're sent to speak words of life through what Scripture tells us, the way God's revealed Himself in Jesus. And so that's going to be part. We are going to be speaking about who uh, God is. I love the the quote that's in your bulletin. It's from D.L. Moody. And he talks about how uh, I can't think of a better way to turn Chicago on its head than if everyone that knew Jesus would just start talking about Him with their friends and their neighbors, beginning to tell people who He is and what He's done and so there's a clear directive. We're to be doing that. We are to be proclaiming who God is and what He's done. And that's the first part I want us to think about. But the second part I want to think of is it's not just words, but it is our lives. Right? It's like I, I don't say that lightly, the, the statement about preach the gospel uh, everywhere and then use words when necessary. There's actually a really good thought to that, that our lives should be pointing people to something different, and that's absolutely true. It's just that we don't want to leave out the proclamation part. We want to have both, but we want to live lives that point people, that reflect to who God is and what He's done in us and the way He's changing us. And so I want to consider three things in this text that point to the way we live that out. And so if you look at verse 9 again, and he talks about this idea that you are a chosen race and a royal priesthood and a holy nation of people for His possession. And I want to just think about that and to make a connection back to what we talked about last week. You know, here when it talks about you are a holy nation, a a holy ethnos, he he basically says that you're a new people. Essentially, you're a new people group when you come into faith in Jesus, you you get welcome into the church and you're now a new group together. And it doesn't matter about where you were born, your ethnicity and the way we think of it, but you are now a, a new group together through what Christ has done. And he points to this picture. He talks about how you're a royal priesthood and, and this idea of, of a chosen race. All those things together you read in the Old Testament. God takes Israel and he puts them right in the middle of kind of the known universe and the way, the way everybody travels and the way they go. And he says, I'm going to set you up and you're going to be different. You're going to be a light to the world. You're going to show them what it looks like to worship the true God. And so people would travel through and see that right in the midst. And so now Peter's saying, now, the church, you are called to be a different people. You're called to be a light and to point people to who God is. You know, last week we talked about this idea of our connection to one another, that we really are a new uh, people. We really do have connections together that are far deeper than any other. And so when we think about that picture of how we live that out and how we apply it, you know, last week. I talked a lot about us loving and caring for one another in community outside of just this time on Sunday morning and how important that is for our own growth, for our own sanctification and growing in that up relationship. But I also want to make the clear connection that when we do that, when we really, truly love one another and care for one another and do that, it's also a light to a broken world. We're to be a community of faith that so loves one another, that is so different than the way the world looks, that it in and of itself is a great uh, picture of what the gospel is. And we're to invite people into that. And so when I think about it in terms of missional community group, right, we want to gather together at different times throughout the week and in different ways spend time with one another, encouraging one another, but we also want to be inviting people into that that don't know Jesus. It's not simply a time where we gather together as believers and do a Bible study and pray for one another, although it is that, and it should be that. That's a good thing. That's what we were talking about last week, holding each other accountable, encouraging one another, loving one another. But we also want to invite people in to see what that looks like. It's a wonderful light of what that looks like when we start to invite people into the way we love one another. Right? Jesus says, you'll know that they're my disciples by the way they love one another. If we hole up in a house together and we love each other really well and we never invite anyone else in, how are they going to know we're His disciples? We want to balance the up, our growing with God, the in growing together, and the out. We want to be welcoming to people, inviting them in, letting them see what's different within the body of Christ. And so we want to make sure that we're doing that. And so when Peter talks about this idea of being a royal priesthood, this holy nation that's a light, we want to be a light to the world and what that looks like. Second thing, look at verse 11. Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. When we talk about living it out and people seeing it and being a witness, Peter reminds us, I want you to be sojourners and exiles, right? And he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And he connects this idea of being a sojourner or an exile with abstaining from the passions of the flesh. And I want you to think about what he's saying. First, you have to stop and think for just a second what a sojourner and an exile is, what he's talking about. The idea of sojourner is someone who's passing through kind of a country that's not their own, right? You're in a place that's not really home and you're just there as a time, right? You're you're kind of a, a guest in a different land. Same thing with exiles. We see exiles in the Old Testament, those that get taken out. Babylon comes in and takes out part of Israel and takes them back to Babylon and they live there as a time as exiles. It's not really their home. They were forced to go there. They're living in a land that's not their own. And so Peter makes this connection of us being sojourners and exiles. And I want you just to think about that for a second. Why he would say that, why he would make that connection with us. The picture of when we come to faith in Christ. We put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. The power with which God is going to return and redeem all things is now at work in you. In a very real way, part of heaven, part of the future is now living in you here and now. Right? That's why Paul calls us citizens of heaven. Right? This, this, in a very real way, is not our home because we're looking ahead to what's to come. The fullness of what Christ is going to do in His return. And so when we start to see that and we move in different ways, we see things in different ways. Uh, there's a song I really like. It's by a Christian artist. His name is Gatlin elms and he has this song where he talks about the colors that we can't see and he says i had a dream that we could see those colors that we can't see and he's talking about seeing beneath the story seeing more seeing a richer and fuller picture of the way things are and when the holy spirit takes up residence in you and begins to do that in your life you start to see the story behind the story You start to see the deeper connections of how God is moving and how he's working and how things are and how they're going to end. A good way to think of it is if you've ever watched a movie uh, that has a huge twist ending, right? Uh, Like I I go back, I'm dating myself, but I go back to like uh, uh, The Sixth Sense. If you ever saw that movie and it gets to the end, there's a huge change at the end. You go, oh, you know, Uh, and, and it changes the way you see the whole movie. If you've never seen it, That's a terrible example, but uh, in in the movie, it gets to a big twist ending. But then you go back and you watch the movie again, and you see all these things that are so obvious. And you go, oh, how did I miss that? It seems so clear when you know the ending. The, The same is true in a lot of ways as a person of faith. As you come to faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit begins to come alive in you and you know the end and what Christ has done and you know your greatest needs or your need for God and the way He's answered that in Jesus. And then you begin to see everything that way. In a lot of ways, you see the story underneath the story. You start to see that I'm not really at home in this place broken as it is right now. It's, it's that picture And so the more that we see that, the more we get it, what happens is we begin to have uh, what I call an eternal perspective. We don't just put things in, in the perspective of the next 70 or 80 years or however many years God blesses you with in this life. We begin to think of things in long term. An eternal perspective is the way we start to look at it. And so when he says we're to be sojourners and exiles and then he connects that to abstaining from the passions of the flesh. I want to see, I want you to see where he's going. A lot of times when we think of that passions of the flesh, we think of like sexual sin, drunkenness, uh, different things that it talks about uh, that Paul talks about in his letters. Or we think of putting away uh, harsh words or being angry, those kind of things. And it's absolutely true. We are called to live a holy, set apart life that puts to death that which is earthly in us. But I think here when he hits on this idea of um, these desires, the, the passions of your flesh, it really has this connotation of over-desires. Now, I want you to understand what he's saying. When we see ourselves as sojourners and exiles, this is not really our home. We see things in eternal perspectives. It puts into perspective the desires of our heart. And what I mean by over-desires are things that can be very good that take too much of a place in your life. They become over-desires, right? It is good to have a job and to seek to be good at it and to work hard and seek to make a living. Those are all good things. But when your identity becomes your job and chasing money, then that's become an over-desire in your life and it's not good because ultimately it won't satisfy you. Uh, The same could be said about our children. And I know that one sounds a little bit weird. You love your children, but it is possible to have an over-desire even for your children when they take the place of God in your life. If my happiness is completely bound up on how well my children are doing, then they've taken a place they should have never had. Now, that's not to say I don't love my kids and love them dearly, but they come a distant second to my faith and belief in who God is and what he's done. Jesus says the same thing. Right? You should hate your family, your father, your mother. Right? What he's saying is, in comparison, you should love me so much more. And so what I, say, what I mean by that, when we get into this idea of sojourners and exiles, we have an eternal perspective and things take their proper place. Instead of chasing how rich can I be and get more and more things, I start to see my things as stuff that God has entrusted me with for the spread of His glory. We begin to say and do things that seem out of step with the world because we don't see this ultimately as our home. My, my ultimate goal is not my wealth and my achievement and look at me, it's all Jesus. And so it changes the way I begin to look at how and what I do and how I spend my money and where I go and all those things. And I think there's a clear connection to the next thing and this would be the third thing that he says. He says, Keep your conduct, verse twelve, among the Gentiles honorable, so that then they speak evil against you; that they speak against you as evildoers, they may say your good deeds, and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now again, there's a very clear connection there uh, of keeping ourselves holy and set apart. If you say I am a Christian and then you do everything the way the rest of the world does, you're really damaging your your testimony. Right, and there's a clear picture of that. Keep your your your. Uh, your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. But there's also a part of that is as we see ourselves as exiles and sojourners and we see things in an eternal perspective, we're going to be out of step with the world and people are going to look at you and go, that guy's crazy. When you begin to do things like, I want to pass up a promotion so I have more time to serve other people. Right? I had a friend tell me that the other day. I'm really thinking about letting this go so that I can spend more time in these other ways. God was putting this on his heart. And he said, all the guys I work with are going to think I'm crazy if I do this. Right? That's the picture. When you begin to move as a sojourner in an exile with an eternal perspective, there's going to be times where people are like, you're insane. And what I said to him is, is exactly what, what Peter is saying here. Right. There's going to be times when people look at you and think that is crazy. What are you doing? And the way you respond gives you a great opportunity for the sake of spreading the gospel. Right. When they come at you and when they tell you things, if you respond with grace and humility and pointing them to Jesus, it's a great opportunity for the sake of the gospel. And so I'd say when we think of how we live that out, we live it out by the way we love one another, the way we spend time together, the way that we value what we value, where we put our time and our energy and the way that people see that. And then the last part is when people look at that and go, that's really kind of crazy, the way you respond. The way you respond to what they say to you and the way that they look at that. Do you lovingly walk with them and spend time? And, and, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. How do we respond in a hostile world that's against God's word? We speak the truth in love with great humility, and then we just love them. Even if they don't get it. Even if they're ugly to you, you just love them. And so it's a great opportunity to point other people to the way God's loved us. And so when we think about this picture of going to the out, we have to be people that are proclaiming who God is and what he's done. And we have to be people that are, that are going out and loving one another and showing a different way of the way things work. We value different things. We're a light in a broken world. We begin to show what that looks like and all those things. And then the end of that is you're going to be persecuted in different ways. People are going to look at you and think, that is crazy. What are they doing? And so the way you respond gives you an opportunity to again point out of, of who God is and seek to make Disciples. The last question I want us to consider is then, why do we do that? Right? I realize, I just told you, a lot of this is going to be difficult. You're going to proclaim and people are going to say, no, no, don't say that. That's your opinion, I don't want to hear that. You're going to live differently and people are going to go, that's crazy. <clears throat> that's not the way we live in the world. And then they may persecute you for it. And so the question could be, well, great, why would we want to do that? And the first thing I would say, we could just say very clearly, is obedience. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. Peter says right here, he has chosen you a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. And so we could just say, obedience. God does this and then he tells us to go do that. And that would be completely right. And we should do it to be obedient. But I also want to see there's, there's another thing here just in our heart that we know that pushes us to go out. Look at what he says in verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. We know from the context here, the cornerstone is Jesus, right? And so he's pointing us to Jesus and he says, a cornerstone chosen and precious who bo- and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Right? And then look at verse 10, what he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I want to put those two together when we think about why. Why missional community groups on mission together for the sake of the glory of the Gospel? It says here that when you put your faith in Jesus, you will never be put to shame. Every person you know, every man, woman, child, your neighbors, your co-workers, the person that stands next to you in the grocery store, every single person that you see does not want to be put to shame. You know what shame means? A feeling of humiliation or distress caused by a consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Romans 1 tells us that that's all of us. We all know that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Our conscience bears witness. We all know that something's wrong. We all know that we need to receive mercy. Here's the reason why we have to be the out. You know the answer. You have received mercy because you know Jesus. Every single person you see, that is their deepest need. Every single one, and you know the answer. And so when we have missional community groups, and we just say, well, we'll get together, and we'll love each other, and we'll spend time together, and then we'll get together, and we'll do that again next week, and we ignore all the people that are right in front of us, literally dying, not knowing how to be forgiven. We can't ignore them. And the reason we can't is because you know. If you've met Jesus, you know it. You know that you've received mercy. You know that you're now a part of a family. And by the way, what we talked about last week, we need to be reminded of that. That's the end part. We need to be so careful to remind one another. But then we have to have a view that every person out there desperately needs to know what God's done for us. It is our privilege to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness. It is our privilege to go out and get to point people to that you can receive mercy. You can have an assurance that you will never be put to shame. We have that wonderful opportunity and so when we talk about missional community groups, and I said this last week, and I'll say it again, we're, we're not talking about, oh, this is a this is a church growth thing, or this is our philosophy, or this this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it looks. This is what He calls us to. To go out and love people in the way He's loved us and point them to Him. Their greatest need is Christ and you know Him. And we have a great privilege for just a few moments in this life to go out and proclaim who He is and what He's done. And so when I continue to to urge you, please get involved in these. We want to do this together. We want to journey on this together. We want to encourage one another and grow in our relationship. And then as a community of faith together, we want to go out and love people in the way Jesus has loved us. That's what we want to be about, right? I said we had a new member class last night. I said we're hoping that we're we're solidifying around the same things. That's it. If you wonder, if you're unsure what this body and where we're going and what we want to be about, that's it. We want to grow in our relationship with God. We want to come together, and then we want to go out and we want to tell people all for the glory of God. That's what we're about. That's why we think this is so important. Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, that we have received mercy, that you love us so much that you didn't leave us in our sin. I thank you for those people that you've put in my life that came and were willing to tell me to proclaim your excellencies. I thank you for each person here. Thank you for the people that have been in their life that have come and proclaimed the excellencies of who you are. I pray that you would give us a deep and abiding uh, passion in our hearts to be people that proclaim you to this watching world. I pray that you'd give us the not only the desire, but the humility and the passion. I pray that you'd give us a great unity with one another to really, truly love each other well in the ways that you've loved us. I pray that you'd give us great boldness measured with with great humility as we go forth and seek to point people to their greatest need that we know it is only met and found in You. We thank You and we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Come to the time of worship through our giving.